Father, I'm in complete agreement that I do desperately need you. That without Jesus, my life would be for nothing. Our hope would be lost. And all would be awash. But we're so thankful that he comes down to get us. That he redeems us and saves us and delivers us and frees us. And presents us back to you. We pray now, Lord, for your patience to be at work in us again. And that you continue to transform us, your chosen ones, for your purpose and your glory. For our good, according to the covenant that you have written on our hearts. Lord, change us now. Transform us. Do your perfect work in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, welcome here, everybody. Again, my name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are so glad that you're joining us for worship. We are Midland Evangelical Free Church in mid-Michigan. We know there are believers scattered all throughout the world today, um, worshiping with us, but at our local body, we're excited to engage with you. We're going through the book of Mark and looking at the incredible Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And it's neat to watch this book develop as we see it move from um, minor miracles to major miracles to the greatest miracle of all, the passion of the Christ, the triumph of the cross, and the resurrection and promised return. So we watch this movement develop and we're trying to follow the narrative flow which says, you know, wow, look at this. Wow, look at this. Wow, look at this. Who do you say that this person is? Today we'll see another one of those miracles and it's a shorter compact version of this miracle. And when I looked at it this week in my study, I thought to myself, hmm, why did I choose such a small little text to preach on? What in the world am I going to do with this? And as I asked that question, the more and more I studied, the more and more I realized once again how beautiful scripture is and the incredible gift that God has given to us in his word, that even in this tiny section, that this word spoken to us today has incredible import, that it will change your life, that it'll bless your heart, that it'll encourage you and give you strength to get up another day and fight again. So join with me now as we look at God's word in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. I'm going to read to you from the English Standard Version. I believe the Words will be at the bottom of the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in any form of Bible. Whether it's a good old-fashioned written word like the one I have in my hand. Or whether it's on your iPhone. Either way, you're looking for the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 and following, says this. And they came to Bethsaida, that's a place where Jesus walked on water and fed the multitudes. And some brought people to Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. 
And when he spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, Jesus asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So in this short section, there are basically three parts, and we'll walk through each one of those today. And the parts are these. Number one, blindness. Number one, blindness. There's a physical blindness and there's a spiritual blindness. Number two, Jesus' touch. Jesus' involvement in this person's life for physical healing, for spiritual healing. And number three, second chances. The word again brings that out. Number one, blindness. Number two, touch. And number three, second chances. So let's look at the first one. Number one, blindness. Number one, blindness. In this story, we begin with the story of physical blindness. We don't know if the man was blind from birth or if he lost his eyesight later in life. Commentators go back and forth. Some say um, he was born able to see, and that's why he knows the difference between trees and people. Others say, no, 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 look, you can feel a tree and know that it's different than a person. He still could have been born blind from birth. Either way, we don't know, but we do know that he is blind. And when you follow the thematic development of blindness throughout the Bible, what you see is it is symbolic. Not only are there many cases in which the Bible refers to physical blindness, but this physical blindness is symptomatic of a larger problem. It is not that blind people are bad or sinful in and of themselves. The Bible never says that. In fact, Jesus directly contradicts that in John. But what it does say is that blindness, like other brokenness, like other things that don't work, whether it's lameness or deafness or, you know, any human trouble comes as a result of the fallen condition of humanity. Because Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and disobey him, they lost the perfect paradise that they lived in and exchanged that perfection for the fall. And as a result, everything is broken, everything is messed up. Despite our best efforts, nothing works exactly as it should. And so, in this story, the blindness that this person experiences is symbolic of darkness, of helplessness, of hopelessness, of despair. In that community, there's not nearly the resources that there are for people today. He seems to have a small support network because he has friends, but even so, it's going to be incredibly difficult for this person to survive. So it is symbolic of darkness, of hopelessness, of despair, and it is his blindness is insurmountable. There's no potential for surgery. There is no potential for healing. In the Old Testament, there are many miracles, but of all the miracles mentioned in the Old Testament in the time before Jesus, never, ever was anyone ever healed of blindness. No one until Jesus had ever been healed 
of blindness. So it's also not only is it symbolic of darkness and hopelessness and helplessness and fear and despair, but historically it is insurmountable. This is a God-sized problem because only God gives sight. Only God creates light and only God can shine that light into a person's life and cause them to be able to see. In fact, Physicians will tell you that the eye is the second most complex organ in the entire body behind the human brain. There are over 2 million working parts. It is a brilliant organism that functions with incredible complexity. This thing we have never been able to perfectly heal. You can see I'm wearing glasses. There are even more people that wear glasses than are blind. And it's been something that broken humanity has had to deal with from the beginning is our inability to see things clearly as we should. One of the promises of the new covenant, the new Testament is that we will actually see and know as we are known, but that point is not yet. And so now we struggle with brokenness, fallenness, and the inability to see. And this case brings it out that the only hope For this person is the Messiah, is God himself, the king, the anointed one, the deliverer. The prophets in the Old Testament would say that, you know, when you're looking for deliverance, when you're looking for a savior, when you're looking to the future, what you should be looking for is someone who can make the blind see. When you find that person, you found the one. Because nobody else can do that other than God. The prophets prophesied that when the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and the mute speak, then the new has come and the old has gone away. So this man's only hope is to be able to find the Messiah. Now they know this Jesus is a prophet. They know he's done a lot of other miracles. But the big one would be this. Can he make the blind see that thing which no one else has ever done? Let's find out. But before we do, let me relate this to us because I want to massage it in a little just so we don't look at the story, which is super cool and miss the application. Here is another part of it, and it is this. Just like we said in this story for physical blindness, so too spiritually does it apply to us. Whether you can see, whether you have glasses, or whether you are actually blind, so too is this application. Here's physical blindness that is symbolic, that is insurmountable, and that requires the hope of the Messiah. So too with spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is symbolic of our darkness, our helplessness, our hopelessness, our despair. It is insurmountable. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And as dead people, we cannot bring ourselves to Christ. Christ has to come to us and resurrect us. Just like God the Father resurrected him. We cannot come alive spiritually. We cannot choose to make ourselves alive. Dead people don't make decisions. They're dead. The Bible tells us spiritually we are dead. We are blind. We can't see. We have no ability to do that whatsoever. Our situation is insurmountable. The only hope for us is a Messiah. I think if you don't agree with everything I just said there theologically, look around. I mean, 
COVID, racism, riots, tyrants, politics, pandemics, you name it. I know historically we've experienced terrible things. Maybe some would even say worse. The reality of it is this. Our world is not getting any better. And there is no hope for true justice unless someone who is truly just reigns and rules forevermore. Our bent as human beings is towards evil. We naturally go that way. And anyone who tells you differently is selling you a lie. People do not want to obey. People want to rebel. Since the fall, since our original perfected state, everyone has been affected with this fallen nature. And if you don't think that's the case, just try being a parent and see how many times out of ten your children obey you. You can lay down the law and say, this is what we're going to do in our house, this. Good luck. (laughs) What percentage is a good percentage? Okay, take parents out of the picture and let's say God himself. God gives Moses the law, the absolute perfect law as a representation of his character. If anybody can make people obey, it's God. And how does that go? Even when God himself gives the law to the children of Israel, they still disobey over and over and over again, thousands of years with many punishments. Law is not enough. You can't overcome fallenness with more rules and regulations. We keep passing legislation or inventing new systems or thinking we'll get it. We'll never get it. The only one who's got it is God. And the only way that we will change is if he transforms our hearts. Blindness shows us that very clearly because it shows us our darkened, fallen, sinful condition that's hopeless, in despair, needs help, and cannot see. It shows us that it is insurmountable and that only the power of God can save us. And our only hope is for a Messiah. That is what blindness communicates to us. That we need Jesus in every single way, every single day. We desperately need him. This story is moving in that direction. It shows us the physical blindness, but it'll show us spiritual blindness too. So the first thing that happens is some people recognize this person is blind and they need Jesus and they bring him to Jesus Notice the application there, church. People need Jesus. Bring them to him. Don't bring them to programs. Don't bring them to activities. Don't even necessarily bring them to church or giveaways or incentives or entertainment. Bring them to Jesus. You don't have anything better to offer than Jesus. Nowhere. In the entire world, is there anything better to offer than Jesus? Bring your friends to him. Don't bring them to yourself. We're not perfect. We're hypocrites. We make mistakes all the time. We're not pretending. We're a church. That doesn't make us perfect. If the outside world wants to say, you're full of a bunch of hypocrites, I'll say, yes, amen, you're right. I'm one of them. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus, but I ain't like him. Bring them to Jesus. These friends, they bring 
this man to Jesus and they ask him to touch him. There's lots of reasons for that, but probably the most common in the Old Testament is this is the way healers worked. You know, like a surgeon or a physician, even if he's not doing surgery, he's going to tap on your tummy or listen to your lungs or do whatever he does, but he has to have some form of touch. They're believing at least that this guy is a healer. So they bring him to eat Jesus and ask him to touch him. Now, one of the cool things that I'm told about the blind community is that obviously they've lost one of their senses. But for those who are able to move forward in that state, their other senses often compensate. And so while they may not be able to see, they can hear really well or they can pick up on things through touch that other people simply don't get. And that makes me wonder, doesn't it you? What did this person perceive of Jesus? They couldn't see him. But what did they get? I'm told by one person familiar with blindness that blind friends will often sit together holding hands. And they do this because a hand will convey nearly everything you feel. If, for example, they are nervous or scared, the hand will involuntarily twitch or tighten up. If they are happy, the hand may begin to swing a little bit out of joy. Jesus takes him by the hand. What happened? What did he sense? What did he get? Did he feel power? Did he feel the power that had just calmed the sea? Did he feel power that created the universe? Did he feel the power that holds everything together in its hand, now holding on to him? He feel the power could drive out demons and send them into the pigs. If he did, what happened? Did he flinch in fear of that power? Did he want to drop to his knees and worship that power? And he is not going to abandon you. Romans 7 tells us how we struggle, but Romans 8 tells us how God wins. That those whom he's called and predestined and chosen, he is also glorified. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Jesus is not going to let this blind guy go away half healed. He is not a half done sort of guy. Jesus, when he takes on a project, he completes it. When he grabs us, he doesn't drop us. And when he says to God the Father, I will give you your sheep back, he means it. 
you can't pluck yourself out of his hand, neither can anyone else, and Jesus is going to take you and hand you to his God. And that is the hope of the Messiah that we have in him. Even though our blindness is insurmountable, here is someone who can do what no one else can. Number one, blindness. It applies to everyone, not just physical, but spiritual. Number two, touch. There is no healing. There is no hope. There is no chance whatsoever in the world today without Jesus' touch. And number three, again, once he touches you, even if it doesn't work the first time, he will keep going after it again and again until he gets it. Even if your heart is hard, even if it's hard for you to believe, even if you're hurting so bad, it doesn't make sense. Jesus will stay after it and keep doing it again and again until we are fully perfected. Jesus is patient. And I think that's kind of the bottom line of this story. There's a lot going on here, even though it's a short section. But the point is that God deals patiently with us. The word again tells us God is patient. God is patient. He's not slow concerning his promises, but he's giving more time so that more could come to repentance. So whether it's the black plague, persecution, civil war, slavery, injustice, World War I, World War II, corona, floods, whatever else. He's not slow, but he's providing more time for people to repent because God is patient. God deals patiently with us again and again. On our final application, then, I'll just say this. If God is patient, you know what that means. (laughs) We should be patient, too. Just like God, who we're called into fellowship with, just like Jesus, who sent his spirit to dwell in us, we need to be conformed or transformed to that image. Just like God is patient, we need to be patient, too. Now, I know if you're like me, when you hear the word patient, you first think about others who drive you crazy. Amen? Amen. Thanks. Um, But it's not just with others. Often, my case, perhaps in yours, the hardest person to be patient with is yourself. Because you know your mistakes. You know the dumb things you do. I know the dumb things I do. Over and over again. And it's hard to be patient with myself, especially when I royally mess up. But God is patient, and God forgives us. So we need to be patient with ourselves and with others too. We need to forgive ourselves. If we've repented to God and the person we've offended, then after that, it's east and west. God is patient with us. He comes to us again and again. He will touch us. He will transform us. We need to be patient with ourselves as well. Blindness, everyone, 
touch of Jesus. Second chances again and again. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. Jesus took him by the hand, led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his eyes on his hands again. He opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Lord, please touch us again. Send your Holy Spirit to encourage, to conform, to control, to rebuke, to heal, to bring to light all that is hidden. God, give your wisdom to us. In our blindness, cause us to see. In your mercy, touch us. And by your grace, Lord, do it again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.